Tapping the Keg Daily is live for Wednesday. It is November 29th. We're talking about the Milwaukee Bucks clutch gene. Yes, it exists. We're also going to discuss the Packers directly in the playoff hunt and Marquette grades against Southern. And we'll get ready for Wisconsin a little bit, but we'll do that obviously later this week. Before we get going, just a reminder, uh, social media, Tapping the Keg on Twitter, Tapping the Keg Sports, Instagram, as well as TikTok, Facebook at two. Uh, so make sure that you are followed along on all of those. Uh, we know most of you are subscribed, but if you're not, subscribe to the podcast, Apple, Spotify, or wherever else you get your pods. We should be there for the people. So look forward to connecting there. And if you're already subscribed, make sure you're leaving a review. Make sure you're sharing, you're spreading the good word of Tapping the Keg. We truly appreciate it. We'll be back tomorrow with Mitch. It's been a little while since we have talked with the boy, uh, Mitch Ross, MKE. So we will be there with him tomorrow. Uh, so stay tuned for that. Uh, you know, I know we got a lot of Mitch fans in the building. So uh, we'll, we'll, we will get into that. Can't wait for to talk to him. Uh, but yeah, let's discuss the Milwaukee Bucks and their big win over the Miami Heat to advance to the in-season tournament. The Milwaukee Bucks took on the Miami Heat, who did not have Jimmy Butler in the game. Uh, the Miami Heat love to do this shit. Uh, I'm sure you guys, if you guys are longtime listeners, you definitely heard me bitch about this uh, in the past. Uh, Miami loves to not play all their guys against the Bucks. My guy Clayton mentioned it to me on Twitter. That was like, yeah, this is really smart for them to do. It give it doesn't give the Bucks a clean look, and but it's really annoying. And I, that's exactly how I feel. Like. I don't care that Miami does it. I think it's just annoying because we don't exactly see the Bucks and the Heat at full strength. I do wonder if Eric Spolstra regrets not putting Jimmy Butler out there or if Jimmy Butler regrets not playing in this game. Because first of all, it was a great game. Uh, it was excellent uh, for from top to bottom. And we'll we'll do some larger takeaways after we talk about, about sort of the late game, after we talk about the late game. But like, I wonder if Butler had a tinge of regret that he wasn't necessarily out there. Now, to be fair to Jimmy Butler, he did not play on Saturday against the Brooklyn Nets. So he st he could have a banged up ankle and can't really go and didn't want to push it, especially because the Heat didn't exactly have the greatest odds to make the in-season tournament. The Heat would have been eliminated regardless had they beat the Milwaukee Bucks in a close matchup. Had the Heat come out on top in the late game, the Milwaukee Bucks still would have advanced because the Heat did not blow out the Bucks and it was point differential related. So that that is a reason to sit Jimmy Butler, but it was frustrating nonetheless. And it was a back and forth game. It was an excellent NBA game. Uh, it was just, it was fun really from start to finish. It looked like the Bucks were gonna blow out the Heat. I was very excited. I was on the Peloton. I was, I was working out for the first quarter and I was fired up, you know, obviously, testosterone adrenaline going and i was like all right yeah then then the bucks faded a little bit and i was like oh class of miami heat and then it's like st louis cardinal shit like the devil magic came back the heat made all their threes but then once we entered clutch time it was milwaukee bucks time now i know you say well that's dame time yes it is dame time but guess what it's bucks time like the bucks have been unbelievable in the clutch the bucks have been unbelievable 
in the fourth quarter. These games are heart attacks almost every night, but it, it seems like the Bucks are just the kings of fuck around and find out. Like that, that seems to be Milwaukee's MO, which I'm not a huge fan of. I'm not gonna lie to you. Like I would like a little more of like seven to 11 point wins and just sort of, you know, have those victories where you don't need to have Dame Lillard Bailey out or Chris Middleton hit a big shot. You know, it could be, it's okay to win a game by 10 points. But the fact that the Bucks are this good in the clutch in November makes them so dangerous in the playoffs. And it's patently absurd that we have not heard anyone in the national media talk about this with the Milwaukee Bucks. Everybody's still concerned about Adrian Griffin. And, and I agree, there are things to be worried about as Griffin as a coach. Kevin O'Connor called it potentially the biggest offseason mistake in basketball. While also not like... First of all, like, I, I don't mean to go in a rabbit hole and a tangent here and a rant on Kevin O'Connor, who I think does good work. I respect that he is a student of the game, but that's fucking ridiculous. Especially when the Detroit Pistons, who are the worst team in basketball, who have two wins all season. Howard Monty Williams gave him over 70 million fucking dollars to be their head coach. And he's awful. Yet... We don't give a fuck about Monty Williams. We don't care because Monty Williams is coaching an absolute clusterfuck in Detroit. Even though they have multiple top five guys and they have a lot of young talent. Yet we don't care because Monty Williams is nice to the media. We like Monty Williams and we give him a fucking pass. Yet Adrian Griffin is the one that gets all the shit. Yet, and we're not talking about what the Bucks do in the clutch. I'm sorry to get, get myself fired up early on in this podcast. That's usually a 15 to 25 minute sort of rant, but it's worth pointing out as we talk about this Bucks and their clutch and the Bucks and the clutch team because it's so important for this team going forward. And it's something to know that the Bucks are A, never out of a basketball game if it's close late, and B, they've already figured this out. This is part of. Giannis Antetokounmpo, Damian Lillard, Chris Middleton, and the other, Brooke Lopez has had some clutch moments. Like, they are all feeding off one another. Yes, Dame Time is a real thing. Dame Time is not something that is a mythical beast. It is a real life thing, and Damian Lillard is amazing down the stretch. But guess what? Chris Middleton is too. Giannis told Adrian Griffin in the huddle yesterday that, hey, we need to give the ball to Chris. We need to feed it to Chris. We need to, I know Chris can make some shots here. And that's exactly what Chris Middleton did. Chris Middleton hit a unbelievably clutch shot in the corner for three. Chris Middleton backed Jamie Hawkins down in the paint and then hit a jump, hit a patented mid-range jumper against him. Chris Middleton was the Bucks closer before Dame Lillard. And Reggie Miller pointed that out on the broadcast that the Bucks now have two closers. And also on the broadcast, which I thought was very poignant, and I, I really hope that either, if hopefully Shaq said it to him directly, because I think Shaq has that line of communication. Shaq, by the way, great on the broadcast. Uh, we'll, we'll get to kind of takeaways a little later, as I said. But Shaq made the comment that Giannis can dominate for 43 minutes, and then that last five minutes handed off to Dame. And as my guy Eric pointed out, like that's exactly what Shaq and Kobe was. It, it can be like that. I, 
And look, Giannis and Dame are probably as close to the modern-day Shaq and Kobe as we've seen. I don't think that's that's a ridiculous comparison. So if Giannis hands it to Dame and says, here are the keys and go. Now, Eric Spolster made a lot of good adjustments to kind of keep Dame away from the basketball. And I'll be curious to see how te- if teams are able to adopt that. If we see the Bucs in another close game, whether it's Chicago or Atlanta, or in the in-season tournament against the Knicks, will teams sort of prevent Dame from taking up the ball and double-team Dame? It kind of worked, but it kind of didn't, right? Chris Middleton was able to get a foul on Kyle Lowry, which led to a technical to Eric Spolstra, which kind of was the game. Like, that was a huge moment in that. Uh, Also, the fact that they did all their trapping, like they were Rick Pitino or some young, scrappy college team, but they were open guys. All of a sudden, Giannis pops open. All of a sudden, they keep moving the ball, even with the ball pressure. Brooke Lopez, they got easy buckets down the stretch because everybody was so worried about Damian Lillard closing them out. So it's kind of a pick your poison. And that should terrify everybody else in the NBA. These fourth quarter numbers are, as I said, absurd. From Marzon, 42 clutch minutes that the Bucks have played this season. 135.4 offensive rating. First in the NBA. That's above 100. 135 over 100 is unreal. Their defensive rating is 95.6 over 100. That that is like what the Bucks were last year at certain times under Mike Boonholzer and where we you know wax poetically about the Bucks defense. Their net rating is plus 35.6 in the clutch. Plus 39. That. Like, those are unheard of numbers. And, and I guess you could say, well, a sample size, sample size. But the Bucks are doing it every fourth quarter. Nate also had a great stat that in the last six games, I believe it is, they're averaging 38 fourth quarter points. They are just absolutely dominating the most important quarter. And you think about the juxtaposition of last year. What was the Bucks' biggest problem last year? It wasn't Mike Budenholzer. It was the fact the Bucs couldn't hold a lead. The Bucs would get up. The Bucs would be in good position in the fourth quarter. And all of a sudden, nobody could hit a shot. All of a sudden, teams would crap, creep back in. We saw it in those that disastrous Miami series. We saw it against Philadelphia in Milwaukee on primetime. That should have been the biggest red flag. Now, I've been drinking all day, so maybe that was part of the reason why I didn't see that. You know, like that should have been a huge red flag to all of us. Or that Toronto game. Remember, they they escaped the Toronto game. I think it was right around Christmas where they were, what was it? They were up by 17 with, was it two and a half minutes left? And Toronto came back to bring it to overtime. The Bucs were able to escape. We're like, oh, well, thank God you won that game. We should have been like, no, this is bad. Like, they cannot close out teams. They had one against the Bulls then, I think, a couple of days later. Like, there were multiple examples last year of Milwaukee not able to close out games. And I've said it to Mitch a couple of times when we do our, our weekly show, like, how many games would the Bucks have won this year? Maybe more because they were good, you know, in those first three quarters. But there have been so many clutch situations that the Bucs have taken advantage of. 
So this is going to help them all season long. This makes the Bucs, to me, the, the contender in the East. They are the team. Like, I know what the Boston Celtics are. I get it. But guess what? The Boston Celtics have trouble closing games. That's been their bugaboo. They are kind of what the Bucs were under Mike Boonholzer. They have struggled with that so far this season. Now, can that be fixed? Yeah. But there's a, there is a variable that was on both teams. Drew Holiday, right? That's interesting. That's, that's at least, that's not nothing, right? And, and again, I know, you know, we, it's just, it's worth considering. So I really love what the Bucks are doing in the clutch. And I, I think that it's going to pay dividends. And the fact that they were able, even without Jimmy Butler, and yes, Tyler Harrow, but I don't really consider Tyler Harrow because he hasn't played for, I think, a month with an injury. So it, I, I think that's not exactly an accurate, you know, person to to sort of discuss. The Bucks were able to pull it out against the Miami Heat and were able to win a little bit going away. Like, they didn't need a last-second shot. They were able to kind of be in control in the final three to four minutes when it mattered and pull away from this Miami Heat team and get the top spot in the in-season tournament where they'll be playing New York at home on Tuesday night, I believe, uh, the 5th. So they will be playing at a week from now for the in-season tournament to go to Las Vegas on Thursday in what promises to be a potentially fascinating matchup. And I want to talk more about the in-season tournament knockout stuff tomorrow, but it, it just shows you how good this Bucks team has been late, and I'm telling you right now, if you're not that into the Bucks at this moment, just know you have a clutch basketball team, and you have a basketball team that is more than capable to handle the big pressure moments, something they weren't able to do last season. A couple other just quick nuggets on the Bucks before we move on to the Packers. The B Damian Lillard and Giannis are both averaging about 29 points in the last six or seven games, which is absolutely out of this world. I mean, they are playing great basketball together. They're starting to come together as a unit. Uh, you're starting to see Giannis doing a little more screening, especially early on in the game, to try to free up Dame, to free up himself. Uh, Giannis had no problems with Bam Adebayo. I, they, you know, Bam Adebayo got a lot of praise for the way he's been playing. Candace Parker called him, you know, a potential all NBA guy. Bam Adebayo was had 31 points on 27 shots. The Bucks made his life difficult. The the stat line looks good. Like it's 31, 10 and 5 and you're like, "Wow, Bam competed right with Giannis, but he had he shot the ball 27 times." Like that that is <laughs> that's ridiculous. Uh the Bucks being able to weather the Heat's three-point barrage is is great. I mean, also worth noting in that, you know, fourth quarter clutch situation, I, I think I'd have to go back and look, but I'm pretty sure the Heat were 12 of 24 heading into the fourth quarter, and then they finished 14 of 30. So if we're doing the quick math here, they, only, they were two of six down the stretch. Again, the clutch gene of this Milwaukee Bucks team. Malik Beasley uh, deserves a lot of credit. I, look, I think Malik Beasley's defense is not good, right? It's hard to pair him with Dame, but he's been productive. You can't say he isn't. 
He had 10 rebounds today. He had 16 points. He had four three-pointers. He had some big three-point baskets. It's hard to discredit Malik Beasley. Like he's doing kind of more offensively than what Grayson Allen could do on a regular basis. Is he doing less defensively than Grayson Allen? Yeah. So it's like, are you able to take that? If Malik Beasley can lock down in the last five minutes, I'm probably okay with that. I can live with that, okay? Um, So I I was impressed with Malik Beasley. Um, Pat Conton's injury is an issue. Uh, The Bucs are already really light at wing defender, at wings in general, and Conton hurts his ankle. Um, Obviously with the in-season tournament, I think you're probably gonna have Conton down for the next two nights. Now, if you can get him back for the the in-season tournament knockout, I think that'd be great. I think that's exactly what you you know would want and need you know as many fresh bodies as possible. Again, opportunities for Marjan Bochamp and Andre Jackson Jr. And by the way, Andre Jackson Jr. hit two big threes uh, right at the start of the fourth quarter that were very important to the Bucs and kind of kept things together. Won a bank and then one kind of pure. I, I mean, Andre Jackson Jr. is working on a shot and Marjan Bochamp has really been struggling. And Bobby Portis should give Marjan Bochamp uh, some flowers or something to, to avoid Bobby's kind of struggles besides down the stretch against Portland. Like, I don't know what more Griffin needs to see with Jackson Jr. over Bochamp. I think if you're looking at the rotation, it needs to be Jackson Jr. first, Bochamp second, just with how the guys are playing. And I understand that not every matchup is going to work for Andre Jackson Jr. I realize that Andre Jackson Jr. is still young, but I think the nine minutes that Bochamp got where he had five, or yeah, he had like five fouls in four minutes, like you got to give that to Andre Jackson Jr. If Bochamp's doing that, that's rookie shit, in my opinion. Like that's kind of what I would expect out of Andre Jackson Jr. The Bucks bench. You know, it was good to start the year. It has definitely taken a step back. Now, part of that, again, not having Crowder, not having Conson, Bobby just overall struggling. But they're going to need their bench in certain certain games. Tonight, they didn't because Damon Giannis, I was like, I almost like combined their names together, had 65 points. And, that, and then you had Chris Middleton, who was terrific. It had 17 and eight and was really solid, you know, from the field and, and hit a bunch of big shots too. So I, I, I do think they're going to need that bench and we'll, we'll certainly see. And now it's on to the in-season tournament. You're playing New York, who you have done well against. Um, I, again, I want to talk more about the in-season tournament sort of preview with Mitch uh, tomorrow. So we'll cover that. Uh, but then, yeah, you have Chicago tonight, tomorrow and you have Atlanta on Saturday. So, you know, those are two winnable basketball games, especially against uh, Chicago, but you have opportunities both against Atlanta and New York to see what adjustments you made. I feel like they did a really good job against Toronto sort of making adjustments. Even though they didn't have Giannis, I felt like they adjusted to the Raptors from game one. So they get, you know, other opportunities here this week, actually with all three, you know, they, they took care of business against Chicago, but you know, can't we'll just see how the adjustments you know the, the Bucks make to get themselves ready for those games. But overall, a really good night of Bucks basketball. I, I don't know how you can come away from that game and not exactly feel encouraged about what the Bucks are, just given what they did in the fourth quarter and just how they just hung in tough and didn't let 
the Miami Heat devil magic overwhelm them. Moving on to the Green Bay Packers. So we didn't have a podcast yesterday and the Chicago Bears and Minnesota Vikings played potentially one of the worst Monday night games I can remember. Um, now I know it's that's hyperbole, but that game was absolutely brutal. Um, shout out to my guys, Fant and Jay Nelly, who were at the game. Uh, I, I can't imagine being at that football game. I've never been at a like a truly bad football game. Like I've been at ones where like the Packers just didn't come to play against Indianapolis. It was a Sunday afternoon game. The Colts returned the opening kickoff and the Packers got absolutely dominated really from the get-go. They had no answer for Andrew Luck. Um, and that was that was probably the worst Packer game, quote unquote, that I've been to. But the Packers still were kind of in it. And they, it was like, there were a lot of points. I think it was like 38-24 was the final score or something along those lines. So like, you still got a lot of action, right? You had no, like, this was just so sloppy, so gross. Like, it was like a drunk kid, you know, in college, like just slobbering around, like not exactly the best. But it turned out in the, Green Bay Packers favor because the Chicago Bears won and now the Packers truly control their own destiny. The Minnesota Vikings have as many losses as the Green Bay Packers. Now, right now, the Packers do not have the tiebreaker against the Minnesota Vikings, but if the Packers are able to go four and two in the final six games of the season, they have likely an 85% chance to make the playoffs. Yes. I said that, 85% to make the playoffs. The two hardest games they have left are the Kansas City Chiefs this weekend and the Minnesota Vikings on the road in December. Although, I will say, how hard is Minnesota, could Minnesota fall out of this thing? You know, Josh Dobbs, to me, is a lot like Ryan Fitzpatrick, where it's great for a couple of weeks and you're so excited to have him and you're like, wow, this guy's talented. This guy can really breathe life into the offense. But at some point, it goes off the rails. And this is why Ryan Fitzpatrick was a career backup. This is why Josh Jobs was a career backup, even though they're great fucking guys, even though they're great dudes. This is exactly what happens to those type of career backups. And we're seeing it again with Dobbs to where Kevin O'Connor or Kevin O'Connell is basically trying to decide if he's going to keep with Josh Dobbs or he's going to go with Nick Mullins or Jaron Hall. Uh, It'll be very interesting to see what the Vikings decide to do when they play Vegas, you know, next week. And now, granted, you'll have a ton of Vikings fans at the game, but Vegas has been better, right? Vegas has sort of, you know, not exactly as bad as they they were earlier this year. And I think they can give the Vikings a game, but we'll certainly talk about that next week. The focus is really on, can the Packers stay the course? Can the Packers hold their water and handle the pressure, if you will? If you're able to beat the Chiefs and kind of stun the world, I think that would be a stunning upset. Packers right now are six and a half point underdogs at home. Uh, But if they do, and it's Sunday night, and all of a sudden the conversation changes about this Green Bay Packers team, and this Packer team will have pole position to be one of the teams in the playoffs. Now, what's even interesting, more interesting, is if the Packers do win, and let's say the Lions lose to the Saints, which is in New Orleans, New Orleans kind of in must-win territory. If they win that, if the Saints win that game, all of a sudden the Packers are two back of the Lions for the division. It's not crazy 
to think the Packers can win the division from the Detroit Lions. That is not absurd. Now, a lot has to happen. And the, the old Lions, the Jim Schwartz Lions, the Jim Caldwell Lions, I've seen collapse in December. Absolutely fall apart in December. Dan Campbell's Lions seem different. I mean, last year, I expected that. I was like, oh, same old Lions. They'll fall apart. They'll fall. I'm sure I said it on the podcast. So I'm not banking on the Lions completely crumbling and just being, you know, a shell of themselves and fighting for their playoff life. But a team that everybody was so excited about, I don't know if you can feel that good about this team. Also worth noting, they have four road games in their next, or I'm sorry, yeah, four road games in their next five. They go to New Orleans, they go to Chicago, and remember, Jared Goff in the cold is not great, and December 10th uh, is not exactly the best time to be in Soldier Field. Then you go home to play Denver, and Denver, by the way, is legit, like they are a fringe playoff team, so this is probably when you didn't want to play Denver, then you go to Minnesota, and then you go to Dallas for a primetime game on Saturday evening, and then back home to play Minnesota. That is not an easy schedule. That That is not an, an easy schedule at all. And you compare it to what the Green Bay Packers have, which we you know, but I'll, I'll say it for the people. Kansas City, New York on Monday night, back home to play Tampa Bay, headed to Carolina, Minnesota, also on the road, and then home for Chicago. That's pretty fucking good. That's pretty easy. Now, I worry about Carolina because Carolina is going to try their damnedest to not give up a first round, first pick overall. Carolina wants to get out of that top five. I'm slightly concerned that Carolina is going to turn it around and at least win a couple games. Now, I hope that you know, the Packers still can kind of hold their water and not let down, you know, being away from their families on Christmas Eve. I think that's a real thing. I think you're going to see teams struggle with that game because that's just an unfortunate timing, right? You're still home for your family on Christmas, but it's definitely a challenge. And how do the Packers respond to that? How do the Packers respond to the pressure? Like if they beat the Chiefs, right? And then they have another primetime game against the Giants. How do Green Bay, how does Green Bay go into MetLife with all the sort of attention? All of a sudden, everything changes about how people have felt about this Green Bay Packer team. Can the Packers keep a level head? This young team has grown up. Like, I, I think there is no question about that. We talked about that when we recapped the Detroit Lions game. But I, I worry if they do win. Like, will they be able to kind of keep their composure? They are no longer, you know, the underdog, right? They're no longer sort of the, sort of the everybody's punching bag, if you will. They're all of a sudden, you know, part of the conversation, part of the playoff picture. And they already are, but I think next week would be even bigger if you beat Kansas City. Now, if you don't, if Kansas City beats you by two scores, you know, and, and they look great and... Packers look behind the Kansas City Chiefs, then next week, I think the pressure is sort of, it's on you to win. Like you're in sort of must-win territory. I think 
10 and 7 gets you into the playoffs easily. I do think to the point of the 4 and 2 and the 85%, 9 and 8 is probably going to get you in there because nobody really is going to, it has a easy path. Minnesota has challenges. Seattle has challenges. The Rams have challenges. And the Packers also have tiebreakers. That's why Atlanta beating the Saints last week was so important. And Atlanta being the team out of the NFC South is so important to this conversation because that's the team the Packers do not have a tiebreaker against. They have one with the Saints. They have one with the Rams. And so, and I think right now, they actually have a tiebreaker with the Seattle Seahawks too, if I'm not mistaken. I might, I might be wrong on that, but I'm pretty sure the Packers do have a tiebreaker against the Seattle Seahawks. Uh, the Vikings do also have the head-to-head. So that's another thing. So that makes that Vikings game equally important, you know, really important as well. So I, I think the fact that the Packers are back to this spot is incredible by Matt LaFleur. It's kind of proving Brian Gunacusa's point that he knew this all along, that he sort of managed the projection. Could the Packers be right there with the Lions at eight and three? Probably not eight and three, but they could be seven and four. I don't think there is any question about it that the Packers could be seven and four right now, but they're not. And that's just, that's the world we live in, right? Uh, but they are, they are right in this thing. And I, I feel pretty good. And we'll see what the injury report brings. I, I mean, I think that's going to be crucial to Kansas City as we get ready to face the Chiefs is, you know, do you have Devondre Campbell? Do you have Jair Alexander? You know, do you have Darnell Savage, uh, who, it, you know, has practiced off IR last week? Do you have Eric Stokes? Uh, Eric Stokes, I think, is going to come off IR and start practicing. It, could Eric Stokes potentially play? You know, what are who are you going to have on that defense? I think that is such a crucial part. And will that change the line? Like, if Alexander and Campbell play, will that change the line at all? Will you see the line sort of move down? And then offensively, will you know any of that change? You know, will you know? Is there anything to be concerned about? I, I think this Packer offense. Against that Chiefs defense, you know, what adjustments are being made? I don't know if you'll get Aaron Jones back, right? It, it might just be A.J. Dillon who's dealing with his own stuff and Patrick Taylor, and you're running it back like you did, you know, last week. And I, I think that'll be okay. I think you can survive that. But it's going to be very crucial that the Packers are able to figure out their short game with, you know, the blitzing nature of Steve Spagnola. Um, but I, I love the fact, too, that Jordan Love has already seen this defense. And I know the players are different. I know the situation is different, but Jordan Love has at least seen some of these looks. And I'm very curious to see how he responds. I feel better about this game than I probably should. And I'm probably delusional, or as the Gen Z women say, delulu. Like, that's how I feel about this. I feel great. Like, I feel as good as I felt about the Packers all season long. And I'm I'm very excited for Sunday. Um, and it, I just love that I'm excited, right? Like, I was excited about the Lions game. I was excited kind of about the Chargers game. But, I, I like, now I'm, like, as excited as I've been, you know, all season. Maybe since that Bears week one. Or uh, Saints week three. Because, A, I went to it. And, you know, Atlanta was like, oh, it's either or. But that's it's probably at that level. Like, that's my excitement where I'm at right now. And I, I just hope it doesn't go the route of the Lions in week four. Even even with all the all the stuff, I that would be obviously worst case scenario. Let's let's not speak that into existence.
All right, wrapping up today's show with the Marquette Golden Eagles. They took care of business against Southern. Uh, Marquette had a game in between uh, the Maui and Wisconsin and really a, a tough stretch of their schedule. Uh, you know, Marquette, after Saturday in their rivalry matchup with Wisconsin, they go Texas and then they go Notre Dame. I know Notre Dame is not what Notre Dame is going to be probably next year or the year after, but still, you know, they're a power five opponent. And that's it's a pretty, you know, tough stretch uh, for the Marquette Golden Eagles. So it'd be very easy to sort of play with your food against Southern. And they didn't at all. And, you know, you compare what Marquette did, winning 93-56, nearly winning by 40 points, winning by 37, versus Kansas, who were a 39-point favorite and were in a fight with Eastern Illinois, who also have Connecticut on deck on Friday night in Allen Fieldhouse. They played with their food. They certainly were just like, we don't need to play this game, you know, on to the next one when they play UConn on Friday night. But, so Marquette could have had that happen, but they didn't. I mean, they started a little slow, but other than that, it was pretty much smooth sailing. And I I really enjoyed some things from this game. Uh, We've been doing grades for Marquette after every game. And so we are gonna do that here today um, and kind of look at, you know, what went on in that matchup against Southern. An A for turnovers forced. 22 turnovers forced is an absurd amount of turnovers. Marquette ratcheted the pressure on the Jaguars. Really, you know, after that first sort of first half of the the first half, like after the first 10 minutes, you really saw the pressure of Marquette sort of get onto this Southern team. And they, they forced them into bad passing scenarios. They poked the ball away. Southern just could not compete with the defensive intensity of Marquette in terms of forcing turnovers. You know, 22 forced is just really solid stuff, no matter who you're playing. Like if you force 20 turnovers against a team, like that, that is a notable thing. Like you can't dis- dispute that or be, I don't even say upset about it, but like shake it off and be like, oh, it's just Southern. It's just like a low, low mid-major. No, like that. that's again, taking care of business, you know, establishing yourself, not allowing, you know, Southern to sort of have their way. Now they shot the ball well for a little bit of this game. Like I think at one point they were 63% from the field, but because of the turnovers, you know, Marquette was able to sort of pull away and get extra possessions. I don't know if Kempom has the amount of possessions that Marquette had in this game, but they did average 1.29 over over one in terms of their just scoring and their efficiency. Uh, Southern was 0.78. So, and and Southern ended up, you know, shooting 50% from the two point zone. But again, all of those turnovers, those turnovers contributed to 30% of their offensive plays like that. That's never going to get it done. And that just shows you kind of what Marquette did and, and kind of forcing them into bad behavior, getting those kill situations that Shaka loves and really sort of pushing themselves out to make this into a, a laugher, if you will. Uh, Cam Jones also gets an A for me. Uh, you know, I've talked about Cam Jones in the past uh, and kind of reverted my grades against Purdue because Cam Jones is playing absolutely out of this world right now. Cam Jones is looked tremendous so far this season. This has been a excellent 
start to Cam Jones's year. Uh, right now, his offensive rating is 133 over 100. He is playing extremely well. His efficiency field goal percentage is 60.8. Like he, his turnover rate's 3.9, which is 32nd best in all of college basketball. He's 42% from three, which I know is it, it, it. It's not that high actually in the grand scheme of things. But 16 to 38, he's making his three-point shots when getting the opportunity. So I, I just love what I've seen so far from Cam Jones this season. And he had another good game against Southern. Like he's been very consistent all year long. 156 uh, offensive rating over 100, 15 points. Uh, made six of, or no, five of, of six shots. He made four, four or five free throws. Like, really strong stuff from Cam Jones. And he continues to be a threat. And I think the scariest thing about Marquette, and I realize this is Southern, and I'll say that a couple times with some of the guys we talk about, they are like, Cam and Oso have leveled up. Cam and Oso have leveled up. They have leveled up to Tyler Kolek's level. That's what makes Marquette so scary. It's not just, hey, I hope Tyler Kolek bails us out. It's Tyler Kolek can be the guy. Cam Jones can be the guy. Oso Iguodaro can be the guy. And I, I, I think that's the, the biggest difference so far that I've seen this season. Like I thought Cam Jones could take over you know, spurts of games. Oso could take over spurts of games, but not grab the game by the dick. Now they can't. And that's, that's really lethal for Marquette you know, all season long. Another A goes to the fact that they are well-rested for Wisconsin. They got, you know, basically were on ice. You know, they, Tyler Kolick played 20 minutes. Oso only played 17. Joplin, 16. Cam, 16. The, off, the starter that played the most minutes was Stevie Mitchell at 21. They got basically a load management game. And again, speaking to the, you know, the lack of hangover, you're able to sort of, you know, bring yourself out of it, and you're well-rested now for this matchup with the Badgers. You basically have not played a difficult game for over a week. That is crucial. That, that should mean that Marquette is absolutely ready to go from the jump. Now, I know Wisconsin can bring you into the mud. They love to do it. But Marquette has already faced a tough road environment, and we're going to talk, obviously, more about this game later this week. But they should be ready to go. There is no real excuse for Marquette. They, they have everything in front of them in that game against the Badgers. A B to Al Amadou. Uh, I, I, I was really impressed with Amadou down the stretch in the game against Southern. Now, we know who the opponent was. And it's kind of like preseason in the NFL where you see a bench guy just show out and you're like, wow, this guy could be the next star. But sometimes, when we saw it with Malik Heath last week with the Packers, like he got his opportunity, he was pretty damn good. And they have something kind of there. I think Marquette has something with Al Amadou. Like, I think he is a really strong player. I could see him cutting into Ben Gold's minutes. I could even see Al Amadou, Ben Gold, and Oso Gidara all playing in a game together. Not, not on the, the floor together, but I'd be curious on an Al Amadou, Oso Gidara big front line, I think that's worth trying out. I, I kind of 
think it was regrettable from Shaka Smith, Shaka Smart, excuse me, not to put him on Zach Eady at least for two minutes, right? Like in a moment where you're going to get the under eight or the under 12 or something like that, just getting out, out there to see how he can do. I understand that he might not be ready for that, but I'm curious to see when they play Connecticut. Now, yeah, granted, that's in fucking February, but against Donovan Klingon, will we see Al Amadou? Like, I, I think that's on the table. Like, he looked really good out there. Uh, and, and he's just, he's a big dude. He's 6'9", you know, 210. He, he needs to put on some weight. But I just think that there is a role for him, and it would not surprise me if he does get that. Zade Lowry also really showed out in the 14 minutes that he played. Now, he missed three threes, but he got to the free throw line. He was six to eight from there. Yeah, that were all his points. And he also added seven rebounds. Like, that's pretty good for a you know wing guy and a six-five dude and a guy who you know gets an opportunity. So yeah, the shooting wasn't great, but I think the fact that you know he's scrapping for rebounds late is important. Like I, I think that matters. Like I, I I always pay attention to this type of stuff when you're playing a team like Southern and you're just like, all right, what can you identify to say, hey, maybe that's going to be important late. The fact that, you know, got out there. Yeah, I didn't hit shots. That sucks. We got to free throw line, like got there eight times. That's that that matters like that. That does. That is important. So and I don't know if Zade will do much this season, but at least, you know, he gives the coaches a look. He gave them some tape to say, all right, can we rely on Zade Lowry if we need to? If there's injuries, if you know he develops, you know what does what can he work on? You know to get himself in a in a great position for the Big East season if Marquette needs to to empty their bench or you know more guys are needed to step up. I think that's really important. I don't have a C for this game. I'm sorry. I uh, I just I, there's nothing that you could say was kind of average about this game. I mean, maybe the slow start, I gave the slow start a D because it was 24 to 18 after 10 minutes. Like that would be the only thing that I could really point out and say, yeah, that did not go well. Uh, but I, I, I don't think that that was, I guess, so I guess we could go with the C because it didn't really matter in the long scheme of things. That was the only time where there was a quote unquote Maui hangover. Um, after that, really Marquette took control. Uh, they were up eight, they, we're up at halftime by, let's see, I gotta do the math there, six and 10. They're up 16 at halftime, and then they absolutely blew Southern out the gym in the first 10 minutes of the, of the second half. Again, it was really impressive that Marquette did no part of fucking around and finding out. Uh, they were the anti-Bucks uh, in this game against the Jaguars. Uh, F, the only F I have is we had no trillions. Um, if you're familiar with tr the Trillion Club or Club Trillion, Mark Titus, Long time ago, I probably weirdly aging myself. He's now a part of Barstool Sports, does the mostly sports uh, podcast as well as uh, the Mark Titus show. And he was the innovator of the trillion, where it means you get in for a game for one minute and you have zeros across the board. Uh, Mark had had a few guys get two minutes, Jonah Lucas, Jack Riley, Casey O'Malley, and Cameron Brown. They all played two minutes, but none of them 
had a trillion, which is disappointing, right? Uh, Jonah Lucas put up a three-pointer. Riley had a rebound. Casey O'Malley also put up a three-pointer. Cameron Brown put up a three-pointer and had a foul. We had an opportunity for a couple two trillions and we didn't get them. So that's frustrating. Those guys got to be better. You know, they got to get us a trillion. But I understand, you know, you you don't get many opportunities to play. So you want to get those shots up. It's too bad none of those guys could have got a three uh, in this game. All right, that does it for today's show. We'll be back tomorrow with Mitch. We're going to probably talk, talk a lot of Packers. We're going to talk about Jackson Trio. I saved that one for Mitch. So if you're wondering where the Jackson Trio content is, that's going to be uh, tomorrow. So we'll have that for you uh, tomorrow and look forward to talking about Trio, talking about the Bucks in season tournament stuff, talking more Packers, uh, more Packers Chiefs probably, more so than the playoffs. I'm sure we'll mention that as well and much more. So uh, stay tuned and we'll, uh, we'll see you then. All right, take care guys. Bye.